1948, Rob married his sweetheart, Muriel. They spent the next three decades raising their six children, and they spent 12 years uh, on the mission field in Japan. When they got back to North Carolina, Rob became the president of Columbia Bible College. In 1978, he started seeing changes in his wife. She started to forgetting words. She kept repeating stories. And he started to worry. She was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. As the disease progressed, she could hardly speak anymore, and she clung to Rob. She was only content when she was in his presence. She would walk from her house to the university where he was working, sometimes 10 times a day, because she could not be without him. Rob had, to make a, had to, a decision to make. This is what he said. The decision was easy. I made that decision 42 years ago when I promised before God to Muriel that I would love her in sickness and health until, God, until death do us apart. He said the decision was easy. It was made 42 years ago. He quit his job as president of Columbia Bible College and became the full-time caretaker of his wife until the day she died. I heard this story many years ago. I never forgot it. The Lord brought it to my attention again and as I was preparing for this message. And I think it's because this story reflects and fleshes out so many aspects of what we're going to talk about today. God's kind of love. Robert's, uh, Robert, um, he later wrote a book called Promise Kept. And I love uh, the German translation of the book title, When Liebe hält, was sie verspricht which means when love keeps what it promises. Our goal, our desire is to become more like Jesus, to grow in Christ-likeness and to reflect him well. Paul made an astounding remark in Galatians 4. He said, and remember this is a man talking, I am in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, his church, his believers. That seems such a lofty goal. In fact, it's impossible. So how does this happen? How does Christ form in us? Paul tells us in Galatians 5.22 that this is not something that we can produce in our own strength but that it is a result of communion with God, the fruit of God's Spirit living in us. Why the metaphor of fruit? 
Maybe because a fruit starts with a tiny little seed, has to push through dirt, nourish and water with nutrition, uh, nourish itself on water, nutrition and sun, and it takes time to grow, as all you gardeners here will know. What kind of fruit does the spirit grow in us? Paul mentions nine different flavors. And today, we'll take the first bite. And it, takes, it tastes like love. And as we savor the taste on our tongue and we smell the fragrance, we discover a much deeper and richer and more beautiful fragrance than we thought possible. It's like, you know, those guys that taste wine or coffee, they detect incredible nuances. It's my desire this morning to paint a kaleidoscopic picture of love, God's love, to give us a taste of the incredible riches of what it means that God loves us. Not just for our sake, but so that we can reflect that kind of love to others. And because no other gospel writer wrote more about love than the Apostle John in his gospel and in his letters, I chose this powerful passage that we was just read by Andrew from his first letter to anchor our reflection this morning. In verses 7 to 8, John shows us the source, the origin of love. In verses 9 to 11, he shows us the image, the manifestation, the model, the fleshing out of God's love. And in verse 12, he shows us our responsibility to reflect this love that we receive through Christ. Think of Wayne's mirror. First, I want to paint a rich picture of God's powerful and beautiful love from the Old Testament. You know, love does not start in the New Testament with the coming of Christ, as we sometimes are tempted to believe. The Old Testament is oozing with divine love and is the story of God's faithful and promise-keeping love for his people. So where would we see all these beautiful aspects of true love combined, perfected, incarnate? Thankfully, there is a person who reflects love perfectly in human form. Thankfully, there is someone who not only taught about God's love and taught parables about what God's love looks like, but who lived love in the midst of the dust and the hustle of the first century oppressed minority people. Jesus is love. He taught love. He lived love. And we could even add he died love. So we will turn to him to learn more of this essential aspect of what it looks like to know God and to make him known. And finally, we are called to reflect this divine love to others. God equips us through the indwelling of his spirit 
to love with his love, and especially when it gets hard. Very interestingly, God allowed two painful situations in my life this week. I was insulted by one person and rebuked by another. I had a really fun week. My fresh understanding of this rich word helped me this week in these tests not to react in the flesh with indignation or rebuttal or retaliation, which I'm really good at. But he allowed me to give the spirit space to respond with compassion and a desire to grow and use it as a stepping stone to learn to love better, even and especially my enemies. Love is the first character of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us, the source from which all others flow. In Paul's letter to the churches in the Roman province of Galatia, he rebukes false teachers who preached a Jesus plus gospel. Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus special laws and festivals. Paul digs down to the basics and tells them in Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has of any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. I think we cannot overstate the revolutionary statement this would have been to first century Jews. He goes on to say in Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the, and he continues, therefore, the entire law is summed up in the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. He encourages them to walk in the spirit, not to gratify the desires of their flesh. And then he gives us this gruesome list of actions that result from gratifying our own desires, such as hatred and jealousy and envy and selfish ambition. And then... He bursts into this beautiful exclamation of what life in the spirit produces in contrast. Okay, maybe somebody up there can help me. <laughs> no. The fruit of, there we go, the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you, Max. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So why do you think love is mentioned first? And what is love anyways? Surely it must mean more than our distorted use of this ancient word. In English, we use just one word, love, for all sorts of things, from loving ice cream to loving our kids. Surely these are slightly different concepts, hopefully. Hopefully our love for ice cream and our kids 
means different things. And surely it must mean more than just butterflies in our stomach or attraction. The ancient biblical languages use several distinct words to differentiate between different kinds of love. The Hebrew, the Hebrew and Greek languages use different words for sexual, brotherly, familial, and divine love. Understanding, I believe, the ancient Hebrew words for love can provide a powerful insight into God's love for us and teach us to better love one another. So, let's go to the source. Let's look at scripture and what we can learn about love in the Old Testament first. The Hebrew word often used, there is different ones, but one often used is chesed. It is used 240 times, of which half of them are used in the, in the Psalms. 75% of its use is for God's chesed, God's love, and 25% for human love. And no translation renders chesed completely. It definitely means more than our usage of the word love. Chesed is an action word and has to do with loyalty, with generosity and covenant keeping, motivated by deep care, affection, kindness and sacrifice. It's not based on worthiness. Exodus 34 tells of an incredible encounter between God and Moses up on Mount Sinai. The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord, Yahweh. How is God going to describe himself? He said, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love, chesed, and faithfulness. This is profound. The word used here for love is the word chesed. Chesed is a big deal in the Bible. It is a characteristic that God gives himself. It is divine love. It's other-focused, self-giving love. The word the New Testament writers use in Greek for this divine love is agape. And it's frequently found in the writings of Paul and Peter, but as I said, most of all in John. So this is how it's written in Hebrew, and make sure you read it from right to left. And those little dots are the vowels, so I hope you get that right when you read it. God is the source, the origin of all love. This is so important. We did not invent love. God is love. He's not only has love, but he is love. It's his very nature, his being, his essence. And therefore, all that God does is ultimately an expression of his love. I know that's hard sometimes. God's love is the greatest reality in this universe. And from the beginning, at the very center of the universe, was a love relationship, a love community, Father, Son, and Spirit. And God's chesed extended especially to the oppressed, 
the marginalized, the foreigner, the stranger, the poor, the overlooked. This kind of love is reflected beautifully in many Old Testament stories, and I wish we had time to tell them all, but most profoundly in God's legacy of redemption of his people. The prophet Micah made it very plain what God was looking for. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, chesed, and to walk humbly with your God. And then in John, the passage that we just read, John says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love, not has love or shows love, but he is love. It seems obvious that from all of Scripture, from the beginning all the way to the end, love is essential, primary, and foundational from which everything else flows. At the center of the universe is a God overflowing with love for his world. Paul made an interesting remark in Colossians. He said, the Son, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. God has given us proof and a model of his love. This is how God showed his love among us, his chesed among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Since God, loved, uh, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The cross is the ultimate proof of God's love. In Romans, Paul says, God demonstrates his own love, his own chesed for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Undeserved love. And the cross is not only the means by which we live, but also the model of how we are to live. Jesus models love for us. John is motivating us to imitate the love of God by loving others. By washing dirty feet or maybe dirty dishes and humbly serving others, Jesus demonstrated the nature of divine love. He said in John 14, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Uh, our son Brian shared with me the other day how he was impacted by the powerful teaching of his youth pastor, Joe White. And Joe, if you're listening, thank you. 
he vividly remembered Joe's teaching on the principle of the open circle. The love we receive and experience from God is not meant to be hoarded, but it's meant to be shared. The circle always needs to stay open, Joe was teaching them, for love to spill out and for others to be invited in. Freely we have received and freely we give. And I think that one aspect of the open circle is opening our ears and our hearts to hear other people's story. It's so easy to stereotype people and to put them into neat little boxes. This is until we get to know them, to love them and to pray for them. Brian shared his own story of opening his circle. God has given him a heart to reach out to perpetrators of human exploitation. When he started this ministry, he saw these men as bad guys and felt anger and hate and judgment towards them for the pain that they're causing others. But he shared with me that the more he heard their stories of abuse and pain, he started seeing them as human beings. They became people to him who God deeply loves and who God died for to set them free from their own chains. He began to see them as broken, lost children of God. He realized they longed for intimacy and belonging, but in all the wrong places. He suddenly realized that this could be him, given another set of circumstances. It completely changed his and his team's approach. Chesed, love. My friend Wendy, who visits prisoners in high-security prisons in Bolivia, she shows chesed love to criminals. I see Christ in her. When we love each other, we make God visible to others. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. When Jesus was asked the most, what was the most important law, he responded, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He was quoting from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He was asked the most important command and he responded with two. Two sides of one coin, love God, love your neighbor. They go together. Our love for God will be expressed by our love for people. They are inseparable. Agape, chesed, love, is not a feeling that happens to us like we talk about falling in love, but it's a deep and a profound commitment to another person. Jesus' love is action. 
It's a choice we make to seek the well-being of someone other than ourselves. How does the world know that we are Christ's disciples? According to John, by our love. At the center of the universe is a love relationship that cannot help but spill over. It is made to give away. This is how Paul prays for the Christians in Ephesus. I ask God, this is from the message, that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth, test its length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. I love that, all those dimensions of God's love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, again from the message, he expressed it even more explicitly. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't have love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but don't have love, I've gotten nowhere. We tell the tree by its fruit. We can have the most gifted speaker every Sunday from the pulpit. But if people who walk off the street into our gatherings don't feel love, we're not making God visible. They may forget the words, but they won't forget how they felt. As the saying goes, more is caught than taught. Dwight Moody put it well. The world does not understand theology or dogma, but it does understand love and sympathy. When we put love into action, seeking people's well-being without expecting something in return, when we love generously those who cannot repay, we reflect the heartbeat of God. It is evidence of God's presence among us. And Jesus took it even further. He said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how you treat the person you can't stand. Enemy embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. He ultimately gave his life for the selfish, the corrupt, and the sinful. The essence of love, of chesed, agape, divine love, is self-sacrifice for others. And this is not only for those extreme moments when we actually have to die for somebody else. 
In John, again, he said, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity, how can the love of God be in that person? Or again, whoever claims to love God, but hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. God becomes visible through our love for one another. When we love each other in practical, costly, barrier-dissolving ways, the love of God can be seen. That's amazing. The invisible God makes himself visible in the love that we show to one another. And of course, I can hear you say, we all fail in this. And certainly, the church throughout the ages has often failed in this. And we should be deeply grieved for it. But we also see beautiful examples of the opposite. In Morocco, I saw how the historic and deep-seated animosity between Berbers and Arabs would melt away when they came together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Building walls is so easy. But Christ, the Prince of Peace, has torn down the dividing walls of hostility. Brian, when he was little, loved and admired the nice man who collected the garbage in our Moroccan neighborhood. He would run outside and push the cart filled with food scraps. Kids are great at ignoring dividing walls. Brian was completely oblivious to social norms. He didn't care about this man's status in society. He loved him. What are the implications of this for our cultural context today? How does this deeper understanding of the character and heart of the Creator inform how we deal with the complex issues of our times? Political polarization, the gender issues, refugees, climate change made. I don't know all the answers. But one thing I know, that chesed love, agape love, needs to inform how we approach these and any issues, and ultimately how we live our commitment to Christ. We are commanded to love one another with chesed love, and to love God, to speak truth in love. After immersing myself in studying love in scripture, Rob's decision in the beginning story, as unusual as it is, makes sense. Rob made his decision to chesed love his wife 42 years ago. He was walking in the spirit. He cultivated the fruit of the spirit throughout his life. And when the big test came, he was ready. In his own words, the decision was easy. Where 
in my life, in your life, do I need to make a commitment or maybe recommit myself? Where have I given up? Where have you given up because it was too hard? Where do I need to reaffirm my trust in God's love? He said that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. God invites us today as individuals, as church, to receive this love manifested on the cross, to cultivate and strengthen this love muscle in our hearts and to pass it on in humility to those around us and especially the ones we find hard to love. And in closing, I just want to say a quick word about Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all you dads here. What an awesome responsibility. My own father's love was tainted by his own wounds and addictions. But you know, I can chesed love my father with all his flaws because my heavenly father chesed loved me. We all have or had imperfect fathers just as we are imperfect. And I pray God's comfort for those who have lost a beloved father or are grieving over a difficult or estranged relationship with their father. I pray that our grief and pain would draw us deeper into our perfect heavenly father's chesed love for us. Granville Chapel, as we embark on a new journey here at Granville, a new era what kind of church do we want to be, to become? We have gone through so much change, and change is always scary and unsettling, but God is faithful. He keeps his promises. His chesed love will not fail, no matter what happens around us. Will we trust him to carry us faithfully into this new era? as he has faithfully carried us in the past. He calls us to walk in the Spirit. And as we do, his love will grow and ripen in us to overflowing. I had the privilege yesterday in our missions team meeting to hear about Himalayan life ministry from Marlene Perret. A young Swiss guy, guy's life was forever transformed when traveling in India, he was shocked to see street kids fight over a banana peel that he had carelessly thrown away. He committed his life to protect, nurture, and educate these kids. He built a school, and when part of it was swept away in a flood a few years ago, they did not give up. They doubled down. That's Chesed. That's loyal, promise-keeping, enemy-defeating, faithful love in the midst of incredible opposition and roadblocks. I hear the same spirit from Ratanak, a ministry that fights human trafficking in Cambodia. In its infancy, they will build medical clinics and the Khmer Rouge would blow it up. They never gave up. They doubled down. 
that's chesed. In light of God's chesed love, Rob's decision makes sense. So let's go into our world and make visible this incredibly beautiful, promise-keeping, enemy-defeating, faithful fruit of God's Spirit in our complicated family relationships, our workplaces, and our world. Mm -hmm.